Well, every blessing to you all. Welcome back to my open air pulpit. It's a beautiful July morning. So you know me, the sun is out. If the wind is minimal and there's a subject to discuss, I want to visit the pulpit. I want to discuss a subject of fear this morning. The word of God says how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A couple of years ago, a guy was driving home and he was driving too quickly in a residential area and as he was driving home he went through an area and there was a speed camera which caught him the light flashed he panicked hit the brakes parked the car walked back to the speed camera decided to attempt to destroy it he had many points in his license and he was worried that if he had any more points he would lose his license and if he lost his license he would lose his job and as he was attempting to uh, destroy this speed camera what he wasn't aware was that there was a camera filming his every action and he destroyed this uh, speed camera was very pleased with himself got in his car drove home only to later discover that it was all caught on cctv that wasn't bad enough he went to prison for six weeks had to pay x amount of money in fines and damages and to really top it all off it turned out in court that the speed camera didn't have a camera inside of it it was shooting dummies or shooting blanks i should say so he feared he panicked he was fearful and of course it turned out that had he just gone home and got on with his day he wouldn't have had to worry about anything fear got a hold of him and uh, he lost his job possibly lost his license as well but again it goes back to the point of this message how fear can really run you ruin you somebody once said that fear is a good thing it depends what you do with it i don't know about that i don't like the term fear or terror terrorized terrorism fearful all these words are synonymous with being a coward basically but that guy is one example of many this morning that i want to look at to try and look at the subject of fear what is it and why are we fearful let's begin if we may in luke chapter 12 luke chapter 12 like verse 4 and i say unto you my friends the lord is speaking to his jewish apostles elsewhere it speaks about christians being servants of jehovah later becoming friends and finally co-heirs with the lord jesus christ christ is our brother and of course god almighty is our father and i say unto you my friends contrast that to his enemies bring them in front of me i'll slay them what would they say we shan't have this man to reign over us to rule over us and i say unto you my friends be not afraid of them that kill the body yet it's natural to be fearful of those that would attempt to kill the body i think of people like john wickliffe william tyndale and john huss three gentlemen and i'm convinced at times they were fearful when they realized that their lives were about to end yes they died victorious deaths hebrews 11 speaks about those who wanted a better resurrection but i do believe that before those gentlemen were being murdered for their faith i do feel that they were probably fearful worried at times not all of the time but it's natural to be fearful it is uh, it is of course our old natures you think about elijah he's just eliminated a load of baalites that were coming against jehovah and even ahab didn't know what to do with himself and ahab took orders from elijah 
In fact, I think Ahab would call Elijah my father. That's a king calling a prophet my father. But once word goes back to Jezebel, Elijah is fearful and he runs for the hills, he wants to die. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. That's what kept Christians going through the Dark Ages. <coughs> and yet, incredibly, even during World War II, one group that caught the attention of Heinrich Himmler were the Jehovah's Witnesses. And he would say to his officers, if only my men would be as bold and as courageous as those Jehovah's Witnesses. They have no fear of dying. They all gather together. They do this, they do that. Of course, they are trusting in a false promise, a false gospel. They have a false assurance. But Himmler was very impressed with the Jehovah's Witnesses. But I'm sure even they were fearful at times. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Daniel and his friends, and I should say that Daniel and his friends, and maybe a future project for me after I finish the book of Psalms, and please join me this coming Sunday when I attempt to finish Psalm 33, maybe a future project, Lord willing, will be to look at the book of Daniel. Daniel and his friends were children, teenagers, 16, 17, 18. Daniel was in Persia as a prisoner for, what, 70 plus years? A remarkable man. Daniel and his friends were all castrated. Think about that for a few minutes. But they wouldn't buckle, they wouldn't bend the knee, they wouldn't pray to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. They wouldn't eat the slop that Nebuchadnezzar was offering to demons and devils. They stood firm. So we'll set the bar very, very high. Yes, Daniel would have uh, flaws and faults, obviously, as would his friends. But you've got, what, four teenage boys? Solid. Contrast that to someone like Saul. One of the sorriest stories in Scripture would have to be King Saul on one occasion begging Samuel to worship alongside him. And he would say to uh, uh, Samuel, I fear the people. And for the sake of me not losing face, please worship alongside me. What a sorry story. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Daniel and his friends weren't afraid. And yet Saul was afraid of losing face. And after that, have no more that they can do. We are looking for new Jerusalem. Our eyes should be upward, not downward. The Apostle Paul says we should be mindful of things above, not beneath. But of course we are human. We have the old man, the old man, the new man, standing in state. I spent many, many years discussing this. And we many a time get so caught up in what goes on down here that we don't look at the bigger picture and that's a sad thing but it's a true thing to say look at verse 5 but i will forewarn you whom not what whom you shall fear fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell yea i say unto you fear him so jesus is speaking to his jewish disciples first and foremost salvations of the Jews the oracles of God are for Israel oracles like oral out of the mouth of the Lord the word would speak creation into being the word of God is inspired 
This book is inspired, this book is alive, it's bound in what, nine countries? But I will forewarn you, like tell you in advance, whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, like uh, he would kill eventually uh, Nebuchadnezzar, though we think perhaps, possibly, Nebuchadnezzar was saved based on his uh, testimony in Daniel chapter 4. But all of the pharaohs would all die accursed deaths. All of the Caesars would all die accursed deaths. All of the popes would die accursed deaths. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. The word of God says, how fear bringeth a snare. It can uh, snare you, it can, it can entrap you, it can cause you to lose your mind, it can cause you to do ridiculous things. And those who have trust in the Lord, those who uh, have their minds kept on the Lord, have the perfect peace which passes all understanding. So that guy is driving home one night, like I say, in a world of his own, music blaring out probably. I'll be home for dinner perhaps, or whatever time of the day it was, I think it was late at night actually. He goes to a speed camera, the flash captures his license plate, slams the brakes on, goes back to the speed camera, starts to smash it up, thinks to himself, yeah, I've beaten the system, <laughs> I've won, I won't have any points put on my license, only to discover later on, talk about sick to the stomach, that there was a camera filming the whole thing. On top of that, the camera inside of the speed camera wasn't even working, it was a trap. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, like Huss, like Tyndale, like uh, Wycliffe. Many heroes today. I saw a clip this morning. There was a street preacher in London last April, Easter Sunday. And uh, he went on to the street to preach. Good for him. That was during the first lockdown, of course. And as he was preaching, police approached him and said to him, uh, we've had complaints that you are disturbing the peace they call that a section 5 offense in the uk it's always abused that offense that act and this guy was told to uh, be quiet basically turn the pa system off just to go home really based on the first lockdown so on so forth and the people were demonstrating throughout the whole of last year nothing was said about that of course well this guy eventually was arrested which was possibly legal based on the laws passed last year went to the police station and he was strip searched which isn't awful and I thought all the people that have been arrested over the last year or two I won't list all the names but many infamous groups as far as I know as of July this year as far as I know none of those people were strip searched and because this guy was a street preacher preaching the gospel he was strip searched he's now suing the police and I wish him well but most people, if they went through what he went through, would be fearful of preaching, going back onto the streets. It's interesting because I see clips online of people outside of police stations in this country with their cameras. They call it auditing. And some of the clips are very interesting, very humorous for the most part. But I've noticed that some of these so-called auditors will cuss the police. They will curse the police. They will mock the police. And of course, the powers that be are ordained of God. But I've noticed this also. That not one of those auditors has been arrested. Contrast that to the street preacher last year who was arrested. And not one of those auditors and the language that come out of their mouths. Mocking the police, insulting the police. Not one of those auditors has been taken to his local police station, strip searched. But that Christian preacher was. They wanted to humiliate him. They wanted to make an example of him. And I wouldn't 
condemn that brother if he said, you know what, I've lost my nerve. I don't want to go into the streets anymore and be arrested, held for many, many hours, strip searched. I mean, all the groups in America, Britain and elsewhere that have been tearing up their towns and cities over the last year or two. And some of those groups are not only dangerous, but are terrorists, let's be quite honest. Not one of those groups or one of their members, as far as I know, have been arrested. And I say unto you, my friends, he's speaking to people who are saved, his friends. He wouldn't speak about his enemies being his friends. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. It's natural to be fearful of those that kill the body. Daniel would have been right to be fearful uh, of being put to death along with his teenage companions, but they weren't. They stood firm. And sometimes you read the word of God every day and you should do. You get convicted, but also you get your faith strengthened. And after that, have no more that they can do. Because of course, there was an afterlife. You see, I've this many times over the years. If there wasn't a literal eternal hell fire, if hell wasn't real, I wouldn't be preaching like I do. I wouldn't be going to the streets like I do. But because hell is real, brothers like myself take to the streets. And sometimes you get a lot of pushback. Sometimes it gets even violence. But I, will uh, but I will forewarn you whom, not what, ye shall fear, fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him, not the devil, not uh, communism or fascism or uh, Islamification or LGBT or Catholicism or this or that. Fear God. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I always think about the animal liberation groups when I read passages such as that. They think that animals are more important than humans. And it's true that many animals are more affectionate, more... Uh, reliable, more consistent than a lot of people, but of course animals don't have souls. They have spirits, but they don't have souls. Whereas a man has a body, he has a soul, he has a spirit. Go to Job chapter 1. This past week we were in Manchester, and uh, God willing, we'll be there every week now, at least once a week, and uh, every Saturday we are on our, we're on the streets in our local town, and we plan to do more outreaches as more of the lockdowns are lifted. It would appear, without sounding too presumptuous, that uh, end of the month we will see all lockdowns lifted, all restrictions lifted. We will see, of course. But uh, if that happens, that's good news. And uh, we continue to push on. We're going to be ordering some more of our credit card tracks. We ordered, uh, I think, 2,500 month before last. They've almost gone. Need to order double that. To keep getting the word of God out, uh, people still need to be saved. But last week we were in Manchester and this black guy came over to me, big tall black guy. And he said to me, uh, why haven't you got a beard? <laughs> now I've done street work for 19 years and I've never had anybody come over to me and say, uh, why haven't you got a beard? And I was just texting somebody and uh, looked up, see this guy looking at me, <laughs> slightly caught on the, on the hop. And I said to him, uh, what do you mean, why haven't I got a beard? 
and he quoted a verse from Leviticus about beards. And I said to him, oh, that's for the Jews, of course, pre uh, the cross, old covenants. And we had quite a conversation, him and I. I'm going to try and film some of these conversations. Incidentally, next time we go back to Manchester, which may be next week, Lord willing. Uh, and uh, to cut a long story short, it turns out he was a black Israelite, a Hebrewite, as they call themselves. And uh, I said to this guy, I said, uh, so do you speak Hebrew? And he said, no. I said to him, do you speak Aramaic? And I had to ask him several times. And he said, no. I said to him, do you speak Greek? And he said, no. I said, so you're just like me. You're a Gentile. <laughs> he didn't like that at all. And he said to me, you white devils, uh, you people are going to burn. You people are going to go to hell. I said, you are a racist. And I said to him, you're also a Pharisee. And uh, I clipped his wings, turned my back on him to enjoy my coffee. And he walked away, sort of cussing me under his breath. But I said to this Pharisaical racist, before he disappeared, I said to him, I said, uh, if I wasn't here, you wouldn't have come over to me to speak to me. On top of that, you wouldn't be telling all these people here today that if they die without Christ, they're going to go to hell. And I tell people that all the time. I don't tell them that because I want to or because I get some satisfaction, but I tell them that because it's biblical. That people who die without Christ are going to go to hell. They're going to burn. And I put this guy in his place. Uh, you're told to uh, rebuke a heretic sharply, but you're also told not to uh, answer a fool according to his folly. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Job is written at least 1700 BC. You're going way back to Genesis. And of course, when he lived, there were no Bibles. He's going by revelation. He's going by conscience. And yet this man is remarkable. Job uh, chapter 1. Look at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright. And one that feared God and eschewed, eschewed evil, eschewed like he would loathe it, hate it. He would try to do what he could to get away from evil. This guy is remarkable. I mean, you read about Daniel and his teenage friends, eunuchs, castrated in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, kingdom. That's one thing that puts uh, most of us to shame, how they were able to live with that and still rejoice, worship Jehovah. And then they were told to eat certain foods that were offered to devils and, de uh, devils and demons. And they said, no, we won't do so, but we'll eat our own food. Give us 10 days, check out our complexion. And if we're all good, uh, let the king know. And if not, you know, we'll, we, we will face the consequences. Later on, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. And uh, his friends also treated with the same uh, style of torture. Daniel is saved, of course. And so too are his friends. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and outright, not sinless. Perfect in the sense of not double-minded. Perfect in the sense of complete. Perfect in the sense of uh, had a great testimony. You think back to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, someone like uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias parents of uh, John the Baptist 
same sort of a language. Perfect and upright. Says they were perfect and righteous, not sinless, but their testimonies were solid. And one that feared God, going back to Luke chapter 12, fear him. One that feared God and eschewed evil. So he fears the Lord, he's perfect and upright, and he eschews evil. That's three characteristics to mark out. The word of God says to mark out the righteous men. There are seven in the word of God. They're very difficult to critique, to criticize. We find fault in King Saul. Terrified of losing face. And would beg, like I say, Samuel to sacrifice. So he wouldn't lose face amongst his peers. Look at verse 5. And it was so, when the days of their fasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. And rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job isn't just concerned that his kids might sin outwardly, but that they might sin internally. If you are a parent, this sort of a passage should really convict you. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning Christ would get up early in the morning many a time and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all she's got I think seven children from memory she's going to sacrifice what seven animals because he knows his kids might go on and sin For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Do you pray for your kids like that? Do you pray for your children in advance? Do you say, Lord, my son or my daughter or both might sin. So I'm going to try and sacrifice in advance. I'm going to pray for them in advance. I'm going to intercede for them in advance. So if they do those things, you won't hold it against them, of course. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright. You couldn't find fault with him. Not sinless. Only Christ was sinless. But his character, his standing, was perfect and upright. His heart belonged to the Lord, basically. And one that feared God. Going back to how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And eschewed evil. He would put uh, wicked people to shame. And he'd also uh, convict righteous people. Because, of course, even righteous people can backslide. And it was so, verse 5, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, praying for his children, perhaps praying over them as well, and rose up early in the morning and offered, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, sons and daughters. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned. He doesn't just go for his daughters being the weaker vessel, but he goes for his sons, being the stronger. Thus did Job continually. So he fears the Lord, which is natural. He hates evil, which is uh, not only natural, but it's to be uh, commended. And he stands firm, he stands strong. And the, and the Lord says to the devil, you see that guy over there? You're allowed to do this, you're allowed to do that to him, but you can't take his life. Of course, for the next, what, 42 chapters, Satan takes Job apart. And Job's wife starts to uh, put him down. He loses all of his kids. I mean, he has, what, seven burials. 
buries all of his children. And of course at the end of uh, this account, the Lord gives him his family back and many more. In fact, there's 10 children, not seven. Go to Revelation uh, 21. Revelation 21. Back in the 1950s, a concert took place in New York, I think it was, and the idea was uh, for Tommy Dorsey to do a reunion uh, concert with Frank Sinatra. They both, they both had worked together back in the 1940s. Uh, Dorsey, I think, gave Sinatra the break, basically. It may have been uh, James who gave him his initial break, but Tommy Dorsey made Frank Sinatra like a world-famous star. And it was a sad story, really, because these two came together, Sinatra and Dorsey, mid-1950s and uh, Dorsey would die not long after that and they hadn't spoken for maybe 15, 16, perhaps 20 years actually and these two met in New York mid-50s and I read a, an article about that reunion concert a lot of people were very excited about it back in the 1950s and Tommy Dorsey said to Frank Sinatra before the concert began they had a quick catch-up like a rehearsal he said please Frank whatever you do don't humiliate me uh, in the presence of my boys. He was fearful, you see, that Frank would put him down. Frank was many things uh, off stage, but on stage he was a professional. And of course, he didn't humiliate Tommy Dorsey, and the concert was well received, and there was a recording of it somewhere. But I thought, what a sad story. I mean, Tommy Dorsey back in the 1940s was a real strong, uh, solid band leader. I think he was a Freemason. In fact, most of those band leaders were Freemasons. Uh, Glenn Miller was a Freemason. Uh, Benny Goodman, not sure about him, but Dorsey, at his height, was a very successful, ironclad uh, band leader. People were terrified of him. I think Buddy Rich would also work in the Tommy Dorsey band. Many fights would break out during those years, pre-World War II. And of course, the relationship broke down. The Mafia stood in, stepped in. I said to Dorsey, release Frank Sinatra from his contract, and of course the rest is history. But the point is, here's Tommy Dorsey, later on in life, fearful. He's scared that Sinatra will show him up in front of his boys. And uh, that's one thing that he did not do. So fear is normal, but it's not a good thing. Of course, fear has torment, but perfect love casteth out fear. If you doubt your salvation, uh, that may be common. Uh, but it's not to be uh, commended. If you doubt your salvation, you can't enjoy the present, can you? You're worrying about the future. Like, will I lose my salvation? And uh, those who doubt their salvation don't really understand that, of course, it's not your salvation, it's the Lord's. Revelation 21, Revelation 21, look at verse 8. But the fearful. You think about those who won't receive Christ. Those that are fearful about calling on his name. And I've often thought about this first. How does it work? I mean, I, I'm not fearful when it comes to preaching on the streets. I'm not fearful about telling people that they will go to hell without Christ. That black Hebrewite, who's a Gentile like I am, wouldn't tell people that. He's fearful of the pushback. He wouldn't say to Muslims, you're going to go to hell without Christ. I tell them that. He won't tell Jews or Catholics or others that they'll go to hell without Christ. I will tell people that. 
have done for 19 years. He's a coward. He's fearful. In fact, I said to this guy last week, I said to him, give me some good news, I said to him. I've got 30 seconds to live. I'm bleeding, I'm dying in the street. I'm a wicked man, done everything under the sun. I've got a bad conscience. What can you tell me? He couldn't tell me anything. And he said to me, well, you people, back to that again, you people can't be saved because of course Jesus was a black man and Jehovah only wants to save black people. That nonsense going back to the nation of Islam in America, the worship of color. What does somebody want to say? This isn't a skin issue, it's a sin issue. But the fearful. Second thing about that verse, and I think to myself this, I think, who are those who are fearful? I mean, Nicodemus, Joseph of uh, Arimathea, were fearful to begin with, but they came through in the end. Uh, Elijah was fearful when it came to uh, Jezebel's threats, but he came through in the end. People like Jonah weren't fearful. In fact, they would almost have to be killed uh, by the Lord to do what he wanted them to do. Peter was fearful, going back to Christ being uh, arrested, but he came through in the end. Paul wasn't fearful. I think Paul, for the New Testament, is like Job in the Old Testament. They set the bar so high that sometimes they will convict you. <laughs> and that's good, but it's like this. Catholics can be fearful. Uh, they can be fearful about reading the Bible, like all the way through, the King James. They are fearful when it comes to going to Bible-believing churches. They are fearful when it comes to praying with Bible believers, but they're not fearful about drinking alcohol smoking, doing drugs, going to nightclubs, casinos, places such as that. Sinatra was a Catholic all of his life, did his own thing all of his life. I think Dorsey, like I said, was a Freemason. And towards the end of Sinatra's life, he got very religious. And him and his fourth wife decided to review their, uh, renew their vows. And it was Roger Mahoney who would bury Frank Sinatra. People like... Uh, uh, Sammy Davis was, of course, a Satanist. He would convert to Judaism. And uh, D. Martin was a Roman Catholic. And also we get a Catholic burial. But those sorts of people, and we're going way back to the 1950s, I know, but those types of people, or today, Leonardo uh, DiCaprio, Hollywood star, Roman Catholic, Mel Gibson, a Roman Catholic, even good old Bill Gates. <laughs> but don't get me started on that. All those guys are Roman Catholics. And if you were to sit down with those guys and say, let's, let's have a Bible study. Oh no, they would, they'd say, we can't read the Bible. Or you haven't got any authority to read the Bible. I always like to say this to those, to those sorts of Catholics. They say to you, uh, where do you get your authority from? And I say to those Catholics, you have no authority to ask me where I get my authority from. So because you have no authority to ask me where I get my authority from, I'm not gonna answer your question. That's how John the Baptist dealt with the Pharisees. They would say to John, where do you get your authority from? You find that in John chapter 1. And I think John chapter 3 from memory. No later than John chapter 5 from memory. He turns around and doesn't answer the Pharisees that question. He doesn't answer their question to them. He answers, that, he answers their question to his own disciples. Chapters later. Incredible. But the fearful, like Catholics, you see for many a year, the great fear for a Roman Catholic would be that he or she would be buried in 
unconsecrated ground. Because the Church of Rome taught for many, many years that Catholics who died in mortal sin or children who weren't baptized and died before they were baptized would go to limbo. But for the Catholic who lived a wild life, who went against Roman Catholicism, and most Catholics do, incidentally, the great fear up until Vatican II was that if they died in that uh, situation, in that state, would be buried in unconsecrated ground. And for them, that meant uh, not only excommunication, but hellfire. That was the great fear of the Roman Catholic. But the fearful and unbelieving, so they're fearful, first and foremost, they won't trust Christ. And yet you hear about Muslims all over the world coming to faith in Christ, or Hindus in India coming to faith in Christ, or Sikhs in India, or people in Pakistan, or Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Iran coming to faith in Jesus. It just blows you away. Past week, like I say, we're in Manchester, this lady walked over to Patrick and I. She's from Iran, and uh, we had a good 20 minute uh, chat with her. We prayed with her and for her. Very broken English, and she had two smartphones. And I was trying to give her the gospel as best as I could. Patrick gave her John chapter 3. In fact, he read it to her and she read, she read it along with him. We've got some photographs of that, if you care to see them. And uh, she got her smartphones out. She was using Google Translate. I thought, here's a woman, thousands of miles away from home. Her heart is open to the gospel. Speaking to two brothers in the Lord. No rush to go. And we prayed with her at the end and prayed for her. And I could feel convulsions uh, taking place in her body, deep breaths. Uh, something was going on inside of her body. And I said to the Lord, uh, Father, please save this woman. And I said to her, or I prayed for her, saying uh, on her behalf, I said, Father, please save this woman and please set her free from any unclean spirit. I thought to myself, maybe, just perhaps, there's an unclean spirit inside of this woman. And I said, please set her free any unclean spirit i said it twice and she said thank you and she went off to the bank and we saw a few minutes later and we got a big smile a thumbs up i don't want to get into deliverances or casting out devils i've got my own thoughts about that but the point is she was humble now if she goes back to iran as a christian believe what she professes to believe and she told us she does believe in the lord and she wants to know more about the lord and i gave one of our gospel tracts and I said, Here's, uh, here's our website, drop us a line. If she goes back to Iran, unlikely, but if she does go back to Iran, uh, she'll pay a huge price, but she's not fearful. And yet Catholics are fearful. I'm sure Jews are fearful. But the fearful and unbelieving, that's the problem. People will perish, not uh, what they do wrong necessarily, but what they should have done, uh, which is right. In other words, people go to hell because they will not believe on him. It's not just that they do their own thing and die living like the devil, but they won't believe on him. If they were to believe on him, if they were to receive him, then of course they would be saved. But of course most don't and won't. They perish and then, at the second death, they pay for their sins. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, the abomination of desolation, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is a second death for maybe 30 years or so Barbara Streisand had a phobia when it came to performing on stage 
She made many movies, made many recordings, has a wonderful voice, incidentally. Not a bad actress, I should also say. She's Jewish, of course, by birth. Very antichrist, has a filthy mouth. And for 30 years, Barbara had a phobia. And her phobia was she was terrified, fearful, to perform on stage. And people said to her, why won't you perform on stage? You have a huge following, and of course she does. And she said, well, I'm terrified that the voice might go. That's every artist's worry, with the voice go? Pavarotti was always worrying about his voice going. And if you see his rehearsals, he's always wearing a scarf. Terrified his voice would go. Opera singers are paranoid about their voices. Carreras and uh, Domingo also were the same. And I think a couple of concerts that Pavarotti did before he died, uh, you can see him miming. <laughs> on stage and uh, that caused a stink because in the opera world you don't mime you perform live and the uh, concert organizers had to refund uh, those that have paid good money to go and see Pavarotti but old Barbara Streisand for 30 years said I can't perform on stage I'm scared I'm terrified I don't be around all these people uh, thronging me so on and so forth there's also talk that she'd received death threats possibly she's Jewish like I say but more likely she had a phobia and that phobia was able to control her and it held her back for many many years but of course now she is performing but the fearful those who are too fearful to receive christ catholics were fearful jews also fearful if you get saved in the jewish community you are just uh, cut off basically i've heard many stories of jews coming to jesus in parts of america but also in parts of israel they have it really bad uh, the parents will say uh, you are turning your back on our people and they have a passage in the uh, Talmud, a disgusting, devilish book, uh, which blasphemes the Lord Jesus Christ. And I won't repeat what it says about our Saviour. And they'll say to their sons or their daughters, uh, you've turned your back on our people, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And because you are now following that, and they blaspheme him, uh, we're going to cut you off. A lot of Jewish people pay a huge price and probably many think to themselves well I don't want to go down that path I can't risk losing my inheritance think back to the first century the Colosseum we've got all these lions being sent into the Colosseum to rip Christians to pieces to eat them to, to uh, chew on their bones to just devour them with all those bloodthirsty people watching it of course the Colosseum for the first century has been replaced by the stadiums of the 21st century but I've often thought about those Christians who went to the lion's den, first century, those who did deny Christ. We hear about Tyndale, Wycliffe and Huss who didn't. But I think there are some who did deny Christ and had to go back to their communities afterwards. And somehow repair the damage. But the fearful terrified to bend the knee terrified to be associated with the lord jesus christ and unbelieving again you are damned for not believing you are saved by believing it goes back to mark 16 he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but he that believeth not shall be damned notice that the term baptism isn't connected with destruction or even salvation he that believeth the just shall live by faith and is baptized let people see you are now believe in the lord jesus christ shall be saved but he that believeth not 
no mention of baptism, shall be damned. So again, you are saved by believing, and you are damned by not believing. You go to hell for what you should have done right, not what you did wrong. And once you arrive in hell, then of course you pay for your sins. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, witchcraft, clairvoyance, the occult is more powerful now than it's ever been. And idolaters taking a statue, worshipping anyone or anything in the place of Almighty God, it's all the same thing. And all liars shall have their parts in the lake which burneth, burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. So you've got the first death, Luke 16, 19 to 31. That's bad enough. You can see, you can feel, you can experience, you can relate, you can uh, speak. The Old Testament speaks about people speaking in hell. I think it's uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 38. And again, Luke 16 adds more material to that. But the second death, you become like a worm and you uh, revert uh, into an animal shape. If you think about Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord broke him and he was like a wild animal. He had claws like an animal, would eat the grass, was out in the open for a period of time. And it's been said that that accounts of Nebuchadnezzar as a man becoming like an animal is a picture of the soul deteriorating at the second death. But the fearful Catholics won't receive Christ. Jews won't receive Christ. Muslims perhaps won't receive Christ. Atheists also. I've spoken about people like Anthony Flew over the years and Fred Yez, Fred Hoyle, famous atheists who crossed the street. But before they did, I'm sure they thought about it very carefully because of course, once you cross the street in that world of academia, you can't go back to where you once came from. If you taught evolution for 25, 30 years, if you've written books about evolution, if you are seen as a great speaker concerning the subject of evolution and you hear the gospel, you get convicted and you start to examine Christianity, Christ and you start to say to yourself, what well, if I follow him, if I believe on him, I'll lose all of this I've gone from being, or I could go from being very popular, very uh, rich and successful to being next to nothing think about someone like uh, John Newton he was a slave owner had his own ship and he would uh, transport slaves all over the world of course just to set the record straight you had Islamic uh, warlords selling poor black people uh, to other Islamic warlords who then would sell those poor black people to rich black people who then sold those poor black people to some white people but it starts with the Mohammedans, it starts with rich black people selling poor black people who then be sent eventually uh, to parts of the world. But someone like Newton, who wrote the wonderful hymn Amazing Grace, was uh, just uh, torn up inside. His conscience was basically destroying him and he couldn't go on much longer and he got saved. Wonderful testimony. And he went from being a wealthy, well-to-do captain, character, 
to being almost a beggar really, living in poverty. And that's why a lot of people I think, well that's why a lot of people when it comes to Christianity think to themselves, can I be a Christian, a real Christian, and still be wealthy, successful, maybe, maybe not. You can convert to Judaism, Islam, Catholicism, make lots of money, it's not really an issue is it, but in Christianity you're told to pick up your cross, you're told to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You're told to love your neighbour more than yourself. You're told to lay down your life for other people. And Newton weighed up the, uh, the pros and cons, followed the Lord Jesus Christ, and for a period of time uh, paid the price. Fearful, unbelieving, and the abominable, those that like to cause others to sin and get satisfaction out of that, found over in Romans chapter 1. And murderers, not just literal serial, murder, uh, serial murderers, or those that carry out abortions, but uh, drug lords, warlords, or people who kill in general. One of the reasons why so many children go missing and are never found again is because a lot of those children have been sexually abused by family members or those that they know. And they say this, they say, I'm gonna reveal, I'm gonna reveal what you've done to me. And those who are abusing the children start to panic. And they say, quick, let's kill the child because he or she might blow the whistle. It goes back to that guy panicking over the fact he might lose his driving license, only to discover that the camera wasn't even working to begin with. If you follow crime stories, and I have done for many, many years, you'll find all sorts of people in prison, male, female, uh, and they all got one thing in common, for the most part anyway, they were fearful that uh, what they had done would come out. Blackmail also plays a part in it. Uh, you get the dirt on someone, you start to blackmail that person, they start to panic. And of course, what they do, potentially, they can murder uh, the, blackmailer, uh, the blackmailer. And whoremongers, a self-explanatory term. And all liars, not just some, but all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth. A lake which burneth. Think of any lake, think of any ocean, think of any sea, and it's burning with fire and brimstone, which is a second, and incidentally, final death. So that's what happens to those who are too fearful to trust the Lord. Those of us who are saved, we should fear Him, not just with a reverential fear, which is what Schofield says, but we should fear Him. The Word of God says how Christ chastens every son whom he receiveth, every son. You are going to be whipped and disciplined if you are a child of God. You should fear him. You should stand in awe of him. It says over in uh, Isaiah how the Lord appreciates, how he commends, how he thinks highly of those who tremble at his word. That's also lacking today. I don't think there are many Bible teachers, scholars, seminaries in the world today that tremble when they open the word of God. I mean, really tremble. They work, they work through this book very carefully. Someone like uh, John Wycliffe, before he died, was I think 56 when he died. In fact, I looked last week at some of the ages of these people. Wycliffe was 56. Uh, Tyndale was 42. And John Huss, 46. 46, I mean, these guys weren't elderly. Middle-aged, but they weren't elderly. And when Wycliffe was uh, coming to the end of his life, he had a stroke, which would eventually kill him. So indirectly, the Church of Rome killed him, whereas they would directly kill Huss and uh, Tyndale, but indirectly they would kill uh, Wycliffe. 
before he died, Wycliffe said to his uh, Oxford uh, students, he'd been an Oxford don, he said, uh, we need to translate the Bible into the common language of the people. They went from the Latin, the Vulgate, and of course the Greek, the Koine Greek, and you know the consequences of course. A lot of uh, Wycliffe's men were tracked down after Wycliffe had died, and I think some of those also would deny Christ to save their lives. I think a lot of people will be at the judgment seat who are cowards, and before we judge them, let's think how we would handle being in such a situation. And some of Wycliffe's men were tracked down later, of course, uh, were tortured. I mean, we think about the Spanish Inquisition and the Dominican, uh, the Franciscans and the Dominicans during the Spanish Inquisition, which was horrific, or the Crusades, but go back even further than that. You've got people being murdered in Britain and parts of Europe for putting the word of God into the common tongue. And some of those guys, when they were caught, by the Catholic Church, who of course would uh, try them and hand them over to the secular courts to execute them. Some of those poor people, and I do have pity on them and so should you, uh, would have to renege, would have to announce what they had done. And of course they were spared, which is what the Church of Rome wanted to do, to make an example of you. Of course later on they would go back on record and say, uh, we don't renounce it. Uh, we are right, we believe what we have done, so on and so forth, but for a period of time they were fearful. And Christians can get fearful. One of the reasons why most Christians don't warn non-Christians about hell is because they are fearful. They're fearful that if they say it to their friends and family, they'll be frozen out. Or work colleagues, employees or employers, they'll be frozen out, and you will be frozen out. Who wants to be told they're going to burn forever without trusting in someone else for their sins? Nobody wants to believe that. Most people are very self-righteous. Fearful, unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. This piece of scripture is speaking about those who are never saved to begin with. If you are an Arminian, if you think that we can lose our salvation, and many people think that salvation can be lost, I don't believe that, but most who hold to such a position will always go to passages such as this and say, well, there you are, you see, if you are a liar, uh, or if you lie after getting saved, you'll lose your salvation, go to hell forever. No, 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 if you're saved, you're saved. Incidentally, I think King Saul was actually saved. There's a verse in uh, 1 Samuel, I forget where it is, when uh, King Saul visits the witch of Endor and he says to the witch bring me up Samuel and she does and we call that the Lord's permissive will and uh, Samuel comes up and he's furious with Saul and he says basically he says tomorrow you and your sons you and your sons will be with me and of course we know from Luke 16 how the righteous would be in one part of hell and the other would be in another part of hell not Hades, hell. Hell was under your feet, pre-Christ. All the righteous went into the ground, pre-Christ, because of course their sins hadn't been cleared. They were covered, but they weren't cleared. When Christ died on the cross, he went into hell to set captivity captive. And of course now, if a righteous person dies trusting in Christ, they go to heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord, but pre-Christ went into the ground. And you had two compartments which I've discussed many times over the years, and I think King Saul 
was a saved man, but he lost the kingdom, he lost his life because he got into sin. He was a coward, he was fearful, going back to Samuel, please worship with me. Don't allow me to lose face in the presence of my people. Frank, please don't show me up in the presence of my boys. Tommy Dorsey, Barbara Streisand, I'm terrified. And I got a phobia, she overcame it of course. She's now performing concerts all over the world. Christians lose the nerve, their nerve, they get worried. And they say, I can't handle it anymore. I can't put up with the pressure. I don't blame them. But you've got, to, you've, got, you've got to overcome that. And that guy was arrested last year in London, suing the police. Hopefully he's back on the streets. More importantly, that incident hasn't scarred him. And I look at people I've known over the years. I've been a Christian 19 years. And I think to myself, where is such and such? Haven't seen him in a long time. Haven't seen this person a long time. He was always giving out tracks. She was always on the street. He was doing this. She was doing that. Don't see them anymore. Where are they? Distant friends are missed, of course. Some of those people have perhaps lost their nerve. Some of those people have been assaulted on the street, physically. Some have been seriously wounded. In the UK, I'm speaking about, not just in second or third world countries, but in this country, people that I know have been assaulted. And they lose their nerve. They become fearful. And unfortunately, the devil wins when that happens. So. If that's you, if you've had a rough time, if you feel you've been bashed about and uh, slapped about, get back into the race. Uh, we'll pray for you, as hopefully you will, you will pray for us. But this morning's video is really just look at the subject of fear. Uh, I don't care for it myself. Uh, I'm not fearful of warning sinners about hell, but I'm fearful about other things. And I'm sure you are fearful about other things. Most people are fearful about peer pressure. They're fearful about what other people think about them. I remember hearing a sermon a few years ago about uh, Ian Paisley, Ulster's most famous son, a five-point Calvinist, but what a preacher. And old Ian Paisley would uh, take on the IRA, the Catholic Church, the British government, the UN, stood firm, was preaching on the streets, even when he was first minister of Northern Ireland, and yet, Ian Paisley, six foot two, six foot three, big tall chap, had armed guards all around him. RUC, the Royal Ulster Constabulary, now called the Police Service of Northern Ireland. And old Paisley, larger than life character, had one person that he was scared of. One person that he was terrified of. It wasn't his wife, incidentally. <laughs> It wasn't the Pope, it wasn't the Jesuits, it wasn't the UN, it wasn't the British government. It wasn't any of those entities. One person the Ian Paisley was scared of, fearful of. You wouldn't guess it if I didn't tell you. Or well, some of you probably know the story. But the one person that he was fearful of, and 21-8, but the fearful, like Paisley, or the Paisley was probably saved, don't get me wrong. But the one person that Paisley was scared of was... Bob Jones, the third. And it goes back to a conversation that uh, one of Peter Ruttman's associates once enjoyed with uh, Ian Paisley. And one of Ruttman's associates said to uh, Paisley, what's your view on the King James? Is it the word of God? Oh yes, absolutely. And he said to Paisley, he said, uh, how about Peter Ruttman? What's your view on Peter Ruttman? And he said, uh, yep, wonderful writer, great preacher, but, 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 but. <laughs> And uh, this 
uh, associates, Arutmans, uh, said to Paisley, basically, you know, would you speak out in defence of the King James issue? This is back in the 1980s, of course, when all the new versions were coming out. Uh, new King James, NIV, later on the NASV and the ESV, subsequently, of course. And Paisley said, oh, no, I can't come out and say that publicly. Uh, I might upset Dr. Bob. It turned out that Paisley's daughter was studying at Bob Jones University in America. And that story always uh, fascinates me, but also saddens me, really. I mean, the IRA would have killed you back in the day. Uh, and yet Paisley wasn't scared about the IRA. For me, to live as, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, that sort of a thing. But when it came uh, to Bob Jones, when it came to academia, the ridicule of being called a Rutmanite, a King James only man, he couldn't handle it. Going back to Anthony Flew uh, and uh, Fred Hoyle and Freddie Ayres, the famous British humanist, those guys weighed up the pros, the uh, pros and cons, and they took a stand. They became theists. I think Fred Hoyle got saved. I'm not sure about the other two, but they took a stand. They were frozen out. They were ridiculed by their own peers, but they didn't care. They didn't care. And old Paisley shouted at the Pope at the uh, Parliament in Strasbourg, called him the Antichrist. And yet when it came to Bob Jones, when it came to academia, when it came to the Alexandrian cults, when it came to all those that stand against the King James Bible, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle being ostracized, ridiculed. He couldn't stand the fact that his daughter would be humiliated. And therefore he stepped around it, sat on the fence. And of course he's gone down in my book as a coward. So I'll close it there on that uh, statement. It's a beautiful July morning, a bit breezy now, but it's beautiful. Things are feeling a bit brighter. I think for most of us, but uh, we're going to push on anyway and uh, keep producing videos such as this. Join us Sunday for another look at the Book of Psalms. I've done Volume 1, if you care to know, and I'm working through Volume 2 now. And like I say, possibly, perhaps, Lord willing, what I might do is either wait till I finish Psalms to do Daniel, or what I might possibly do is rotate Daniel and Psalms. I don't know, I've got a few ideas. Uh, but I feel the most important thing for me to do at the moment is to do more street work to reach more people on the street directly. In fact, last week, another story quickly before I close, I spoke to the black guy, rebuked him, prayed with this, prayed with this Iranian woman, hopefully assisted her. And not long after that, these uh, kids walked down, maybe three or four, under 18, grabbed one of my tracks out of my hands very quickly looked at the credit card tract, said something which I couldn't quite hear, ripped it up right in my face and threw it on the ground. And I said, you stupid girl. 20 years ago, I would have said something a bit more stronger than that. But you know, be careful what comes out of your mouth. Let no filthy communication come out of your mouth. And I was furious with that woman, that little girl, furious. And I looked in her face, sort of stared her down and she gave me a filthy look, turned around with her boyfriend and her buddies, walked down the street, smug, like they've done something wonderful that's abominable that's filthy but maybe perhaps one day that girl will grow up have children and maybe one of, the, one of her kids will get saved perhaps or not and i'll tell you what the way she's behaving now ripping up tracks 
if she has children, they'll probably go the same way that, she, uh, that's, uh, that she's gone and start to cause her all the problems under the sun. Going back to Job's children, 10 children, seven sons, three daughters. You got Job praying way back 17, 1800 BC, no Bible, no temple, no priests, no prophets. You got conscience revelation, grace basically like we have today, but we got a lot more light than he had. And he's praying on behalf of his children. He's on his knees every night. He's, he's uh, fasting probably. He's sacrificing his own livestock. He's fearful that his kids might curse God in their hearts, inwardly. Not outwardly. That'd be understandable, but uh, inwardly. And the Lord sees that man, a righteous, up, a righteous man, upright, perfect, fears God, eschews evil. And the devil's allowed to work him over. So you see, you've got someone like Job interceding for his family, worrying that his family might become like that girl who ripped up my Bible, sorry, my Bible tract. And the devil is allowed to destroy his 10 children. And he buries 10 children back to back. I mean, 10 children. But I hope that girl will grow up, repent, and uh, come to her senses. And we're going to keep pushing on, like I say. More street work is planned for July, August, September. The weather's beautiful, but even if it's not, we go out in the streets anyway, rain or shine. And yes, we have issues with fear, but we too have got to overcome those things because again fear is a snare uh, but who puts his trust in the lord will be saved so i'm going to close it there i think and i hope this has been a help and a blessing to all of you uh, and the bible also says if you lack wisdom pray to the lord ask him to give you more wisdom and if you are fearful if you suffer with anxiety or what have you ask him to take it from you and he will do so and i will sign out now wish you every peace and blessing in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.